If you're looking for a clean, sober, professional, academic, well-researched, historically accurate, generally accurate, serious podcast on Southern folklore, ghosts, bizarre events, and unique people, this podcast is not for you. However, if you've decided you can live with that, then join us for The Strange South. Hi, Marleya. Hi, Patrice. Hi, Courtney. Hi. Hey, Courtney. I'm back. We just had the fun experience of... <laughs> <laughs> Courtney came in with, like, honey jack and Tabasco sauce and, like, basically 151 rum mm-hmm. and said, we're going to light fires. <laughs> <laughs> and so she made this drink where you hollow out the top uh, or half of a lemon and you pour the rum in it and you sit it on top of the the Lynchburg lemonade kind of stuff and then you light it. And like we're all standing in there. We're, we're she, expecting something very dramatic. like a <laughs> Well, it, because too, while she's prepping it, like every five minutes, she's like, are you ready to light a fire? And I'm like, yes. And I grab my camera and she's like, oh, it's not ready yet. I'm like, dude. But um, yeah, so we expected it to like, yeah. like flambe in a restaurant, right? right? And um, it didn't. It didn't. And we're just so she's like, oh, man, I can't like, why can't I light liquor on fire? And then we all just kind of stopped and we're studying them. And she actually she like picked, picked one, one up. up and like almost like was putting it to her ear close to her face. <laughs> and she's like, but I'm hearing something. She's like, and as she's after she says that and puts it down, I look at the others and I notice like there's this heat coming off the top of the glasses. And and she goes, turn off the light. And we turned off the light and they were like. <laughs> they were all on like fire. demon fire come out of them. There was so, so they were they were all blue flame fires, right? and we just and she just been picking them up like I can hear I'm it. So like, surprised she <laughs> didn't start burning her hair. Luckily, the lady at the ABC store told me yeah. to pull my hair back. Yeah, yes. the lady at the ABC store told her to pull her hair back. Exactly, saved your hair. <laughs> oh my goodness. Do you have any postmortems or? I mean, I'm sure I do. If I just my brain isn't uh, yeah entirely with it me is, today. It was yeah today this weekend was really scrounging. Um, I think for the both of us, just all, everything that happens. The only thing that I wrote down, um, was I have Google alerts that kind of I put keywords in and. It, it emails me like every night with like things and most of them are kind of like yeah 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 because they get the alert wrong or something but <laughs> I have an alert um for Bigfoot and uh apparently recently an 800 pound Sasquatch statue was stolen from what? outside of a mattress store in Florida <laughs> Wow. So police are hoping that the public can help identify the Bigfoot bandits. Oh, my God. Or offer information as to where the eight-foot-tall piece may have gone. That is quite a coup. There's so much involved. Like, the 800-pound Bigfoot mattress store angle. Right? (laughs) Why? Why Why? the mattress store? You know? How um, do you steal an 800-pound Bigfoot and then how do you hide it? Yes, exactly. So how do you steal it and then how do you drive around with a eight foot big, big foot in the back of your truck mm-hmm. and everybody and I go, oh, wow, look at the eight foot big foot in the mm-hmm. back of that guy's pickup truck. Um, what city? It's, I don't know. Florida. Somewhere in Florida. Florida. <laughs> Florida City. <laughs> Florida City. It wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh-huh. See, we secretly a... have it in yes. our pod basement. Yes. It's a coat rack. Did we, we already <laughs> talked about our... Yes, we already talked about Wrinkles the Clown. We did talk about Wrinkles the Clown, horrifying. So, yes, Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. Mm-hmm. If you want to shoot over there and, and hear that, that was fun. So we've already done all that. So, yeah, I don't think there's much really for following up on that. So the Wrinkles the Clown, the disciplinary aspect of that, that was fabricated and or true in mm-hmm. some regards with parents, Um Kind of ties in a little bit to what I'm going to talk about today. Mm. So the title of today's is Deadly Plastic Surgery Clinics, Night Doctors, and the Father of Gynecology. Okay. So, yes, (laughs) kind kind of a strange link here, but 
again, how my mind works and how I am creating this link. I'm writing it down. Okay. (laughs) So in South Florida, um, of course, I don't know if you know this or not. It is the international hotspot for plastic surgery. That's not surprising at all. So it's um, one of the most popular operations uh, in South Florida that's currently being done is the Brazilian butt lift. Why Brazilian? I've always wondered. Uh, Everything that has to do with your nether area. It, well, I guess like it's Brazilian because waxing. that is the Brazilian women are uh, beautiful, naturally beautiful and uh, voluptuous, voluptuous, have amazing and asses. has amazing asses mm-hmm. that they have on the beach there. So Brazil. they're the gold standard. They are the gold asses. standard. They are like the Brazilian standard, right? Oh, Alexa, Alexa, Alexa wants, wants to, to be in on this. <laughs> right? But um, it also has an average of one death per 3,000 butt lifts mm. or other surgeries from these clinics. Mm. In Florida, death. as well as New York, and Florida's not, you know, the only, I guess, state we should pick on, but we're going to pick on Florida. It's so um, easy. They make it so easy. They make it so easy. So one of about these 15 clinics in this area, and clinic is such a broad term, uh, because these are really like factory clinics. These aren't doctor clinics. These are procedure clinics. Um, you know, they have multiple surgeries every day. Most of the doctors are not board certified. And yes. most of the patients come from out of state. So it's really a huge money-making kind of uh, sketchy scene. Um, so why Florida? Why is most of this happening in Florida? Uh, there was actually an article that was done over 10 years ago that says unlicensed doctors on the rise in Florida. And it's because the state government doesn't provide a very uh, aggressive oversight. If you get oh, okay. caught uh, practicing without a license, it's a mere $5,000. Which is like maybe one surgery well, to pay off. Well, if one of the doctors that were that was arrested um, or charged made $33,000 in five days with just 12 procedures. Oh, my God. So it is like one doctor in this article said one doctor cut open a woman's breast using kitchen utensils. He had bought a discount hardware store. What? So you're really not knowing what you're walking into here. Oh God. Um, and they're so successful, though. They have so many people coming in from all over the U.S. because uh, it's driven largely by social media. Social media has given them a marketing platform to attract customers um, to this discount price factories. And, and they are in, like, shopping centers. So these clinics are, like right next to your local Kroger or murder Kroger. (laughs) Um, So, you know, you can practice there uh, without medical. uh, Also in Florida, you can practice there without medical malpractice insurance. So you don't have to pay the high cost uh, of having malpractice insurance, which allows basically anybody who wants to, I guess, give it a try, give it a shot. So this is like the perfect well, storm that allows all these ent- entities to like thrive and grow. And even with all, I mean, the investigations, there are so many uh, articles written up, up about uh, plastic surgery malpractice and these like factory clinics and the people who run them. Uh, but because there's not a whole lot of you know, strict things that they can do about it. Uh, they're still going on today. It's like they get arrested. They'll, you know, and when I say get arrested, it's like people are dying. Mm. So they'll get arrested and then they'll come in. And um, because of the business model that they currently have uh, set up, uh, that after one or two deaths, they go in and change the clinic's name. Yeah. And so it's like this corporate, they change the corporate structure. They bring in an other presidents of the company, but it's still like the ones that I'm talking about today um, is the ones is owned by one person, which is Dr. Uh, I think his name is Labrador. It's like Ismail Labrador. 
Uh, so he has this one clinic down in, in Miami that has had eight deaths over the course of six years. So to wow. put that into perspective, uh, in all of Florida, uh, there are usually like five deaths per year due to uh, plastic surgery, and this clinic accounts for one. So oh. of those five, so that's why um, you know a lot of attention has been brought into, and a lot of people have been investigating this. So nearly a dozen, and they were talking about volumes. So um, they say that people come in for plastic surgery, and and again, I didn't note this if it was from this one clinic, but tens of thousands of patients every year. They're doing like eight surgeries a day, which is double the suggested number of surgeries. It is it's a factory. It is a, a, I don't even know. It's just a meat show. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it's it. It's horrible. Up. It is fucked up. So um, let's see, nearly a dozen other patients. So besides the deaths, many patients were left with critical complications, including three people who had punctured internal uh, organs, <sighs> who were forced to rush to the hospital. Uh, some medical reports are... Some others, they, they didn't even record. So they're doing a shitty job of, like, keeping track of, like, the patients who are coming in and paying. So they have complications, and then the people try to follow up. It's like, what went wrong? And they're like, we don't know. We didn't have that patient here. Uh. So just, like, all kinds of just fuckery going on. Um, four of the women died after doctors mistakenly injected body fat uh, deep into their muscles and tore the veins during... Um, a popular procedure obvious, uh, known as the Brazilian butt lift. Uh, and so the fat then pooled in their hearts and lungs, and it, this kills them, like, within minutes. Oh, my God. A 51-year-old mother from Georgia was forced to have emergency surgery after her small intestines was perforated three times during her cosmetic procedure Ugh. and human waste spilled into her body. Three times. A 33-year-old woman who had cosmetic surgery was hospitalized after emergency doctors discovered her liver had been lacerated, which caused her to bleed internally for days. Oh, my God. Seven of the women who died were working-class Hispanics and African-Americans, a group that is targeted by the clinic through their advertisements because it is obviously discounted because they're not going to charge, um, you know, full price because they don't have qualified doc doctors uh, and they can get away with this in Florida. So the medical field has had this really long history of dubious practices where they prey on impoverished and enslaved people uh before the Civil War. So that's kind of my theme for today is I'm talking about, you know, the things that doctors can get away with or have gotten away with in the past and obviously are still kind of getting away with in just a different setting, uh, more for financial gain, uh, which is what they're doing. This is this is a cash cow to them. And oh, because man. of, you know, our still extremely high beauty standard and people not feeling adequate with the way that they look, this is totally not a reflection on the women who choose to get these procedures. Mm -hmm. This is a reflection on the care that they're not getting or the yeah. quality medical care that they are not getting, which has been a long, like ever since medical history has always been, you know, kind of that dirty secret that nobody talks about. Ugh. And we're going to talk about it a little today. So there are folk tales in African-American communities of night doctors. This was created as a means of a, like a warning in the community, uh, saying like the night doctor is going to get you if you go out after, you know, after dark. And pre-Civil War, it was very, and even after the Civil War, uh, it was, you know, it was used in the community just to, to keep you cautious of things that were going on, but it was also used as a method to terrorize and for social control. Um, there's a number of regional variations of the night doctor belief. The standard version begins with the un unsuspecting individual traveling alone after dark and out of the shadows comes like ghastly figures emerging around them with their faces concealed in crudely stitched masks. Mm. So, um, you know, it ties very closely with the clan yeah. and, and things that were happening uh, during that time. So, and also if you think of night doctors, you 
think that they wouldn't do anything crudely stitched. So I was like, if they're truly surgeons, <laughs> this would be like a very precise embroidery on your mask. But no. So, but this was the tale that's going on. And um, so they say some of them would wear like the white coats of lab of uh, students and or okay. medical. Like the coats of lab. The coats of labs. <laughs> yeah, no. Lab coats is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. So the vec- the victims would be transported in a hearse-like wagon drawn by horses fitted with rubber-soled pads to muffle the sounds of their movements. They were taken to dimly lit basement laboratories where faceless observers gathered uh, around an operating table to witness unspeakable, unspeakable acts of human experimentation, oh. dissection, and blood harvesting. A prolonged and tortured death is the individual's ultimate faith, uh, fate after which their mangled remains were either kept as a macabre trophy or disposed of as common medical waste. So this is kind of the tale behind the night doctors, which really, it's stuff of nightmares, especially like if you're scared of the doctor anyway. Mm-hmm. But during this time, this folklore was based on a lot of truth so folklorists have traced the origins of night doctors um belief back to antebellum period when uh certain hospitals performed risky experimental procedures Mm -hmm. on enslaved people with impunity african-american cemeteries were routinely ransacked as part of the illicit corpse trade Night patrols would use violence and psychological warfare to uphold the white racial order throughout this southern countryside. So it tied very much into the way that they were treated before and after the Civil War, um, African-Americans, enslaved people, and freed people. Uh, night doctors were also known as night riders, needle men, black bottle men, sack up boys, night witches, and Ku Klux doctors, mm-hmm. which is the names all given after restoration or during the restoration period after the Civil War. It says that night doctors lurked the streets around medical schools, hospitals, poorhouses, train stations in search of victims to kidnap for research purposes. The social vulnerability of African-Americans made them a perfect target, entangling the night doctor belief with the culture of extreme racial terrorism that existed at the time. So the height of the night doctors actually came after the war when um, enslaved people were given their freedom uh, and they traveled to uh, urban centers. They traveled to cities looking for uh, economic opportunity. But they would spread, uh, plantation owners were spreading, you know, this rumor of the night doctors living in the cities coming to get you mm-hmm. because they had, they are, they were, uh, financially ruined after the civil war because mm-hmm. they lost their labor forces or either they had to pay their labor labor forces and treat them like human beings, mm-hmm. um, of which they are and have been so uh so these rumors about cities being hunting grounds for night doctors you know was meant again to terrorize and to try to control people um and keep them you know still in the countryside in the rural areas so you know they could be taken advantage of has there been a horror movie about there should be man because this is like a horror movie oh my god it it gets so worse (laughs) oh crap Uh, yeah so, you know, this is this is horrifying, but it, it's not, you know, again, so far from the truth. The history of human experimentation is as old as the practice of medicine itself. And in the modern phase, it was always targeted uh, or the modern phase of uh Medical history is always targeted, disadvantaged, uh, marginalized, institutionalized, stigmatized, and vulnerable populations. Uh, This includes prisoners, condemned, the condemned, orphans, mentally ill students, the poor, poor, women, uh, disabled children, people of color, indigenous indigenous people, and enslaved. So we could just say basically everybody except men. white men. Yeah, yes. that's exactly. <laughs> everybody accepts seemingly healthy white men, mm-hmm. uh, rich white men. Oh, uh, lame. Yeah, it's so lame. So, uh, you know, if, and if you think about it, that's, you know, when New Orleans was being populated, that's what they were doing. They were sending over, mm-hmm. you know, 
people from prisons to populate this area. And if they survived the trip, then that was just more people to, you know, do the work of laborers. I mean, it, it's so ingrained in everything about history here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, during the uh, 18th century, is that right? 18th, 19th century uh, is very common. Uh, medical schools would advertise uh, that there's like, or actually there was this one medical school in, in South Carolina that advertised that there was no place in the United States that offered as great opportunities for the acquisition of anatomical knowledge. Sub- mm. Subjects being obtained from among the colored population in sufficient numbers for every purpose. So they were like actually ah! bragging about oh how God. they had access. Um, and of course, this is pre-Civil War to these populations that they could experiment on. And that was like that was their marketing. God, people are and, and so they would also place ads in local papers offering cash. And this is medical institutions offering cash for enslaved people who suffered from chronic diseases. So these were ads uh, that anybody who had an enslaved person owned an enslaved person. They would say, if you know, if you have somebody that's sick, we will pay you for them and take them off your hands. Basically, it is the stuff of fucking nightmares. Mm. Uh, it's just really sickening. However, and going on at the same time, and we're talking about like, you know, experimenting, learning in these medical institutions. James Marion Sims developed and pioneered basically, um, you know, or was surgical techniques and tools that related to women's reproductive health. He is credited as the father of modern gynecology. And he was a 19th century. So again, during the height of all of this, um, before the Civil War and after the Civil War, um, he was he's a physician that actually, as is, is they call it, lionized now with statues in New York, South Carolina, and Pennsylvania. But his research and his experimentation and how he came about as being the father of modern gynecology was that he conducted his experiments and his learning on enslaved black women without anus, uh Oh, no. Without... Anesthetic? Anesthetic. Thank you. Oh, my God. Yes. So medical, of course, you know, historians and medical ethnicists, you know, want to tear the monuments down because... Well, yeah. It was basically built, his legacy and his is built um, on the backs of these people who suffered these, or endured these... Torturous, yeah. Um... Yeah, it was, it's just horrible. And it's really hard to read a lot of that stuff. Uh, Sims practiced medicine at the time uh, on women, which, again, treating women during this time period. And and I want to say, like, it's during, you know, it's Victoria, Queen Victoria time, where everything was very prim and proper. It's still kind of very wholesome Protestant you know, you don't talk about certain things kind of deal. So treating your special places, right. You don't talk about your special places, but treating women was considered distasteful. Mm. And so it was rarely done. So (laughs) his actual like treating women was almost not taboo, but it was looked down upon. And he, he was a progressive torturer. He was a progressive torturer and he didn't really, he had very little interest in treating female patients. He had very little interest in the treatment of females, period. But um, he and he didn't expect to get into gynecology. But what happened is that a female friend had fallen off a horse and crushed her pelvis and was having, like, major back pain. So they brought her in, and he realized that he needed to look into her vagina and so he positioned her on all fours, uh, leaning forward, and then used his fingers to help see inside. And this helped him. He's actually the one that developed that fucking spaculum that they still have not changed the fucking design on. And it's basically like using two shoehorns. Yes. Yes. So his... Yeah, so we his, can't lionize and, this guy. No. And... and 
the reason that we're still fucking using the same design is beyond me. Beyond it's because me. Because men are gynecologists. Oh my gosh. Uh, so he's the one that actually his first uh, speculum was bent handles of pewter spoons. And that's what he used. Uh, so once he kind of got into this and started like experimenting and it was more for, it wasn't for the sake of, of like, you know, pioneering this new frontier. It was more of a financial aspect to him because he was born in South Carolina and, uh, he was a plantation owner or his father was a plantation owner. And when their enslaved females uh, gave birth, they would have problems like with uh, bad pain or, you know, they had problems like holding their bladder. So there's like these medical problems. And so they couldn't go back into the workforce. This was the fucking reason he got into it because mm. he wanted to um, help save his workforce (laughs) basically. So, uh, when he started practicing, he killed his first two patients and that caused him to move or to relocate to Montgomery, Alabama. So he came down to Montgomery, Alabama and continued, um, you know, working, uh, developed the speculum. And then in 1850, he moved to New York and opened his first ever women hospital where he continued testing controversial medical treatments on his patients. Um, when any of Sims patients died and there were several that died, he blamed according to him or the blame according to him laid squarely with the sloth and ignorance of the mothers and the black midwives who attended them. So he was a real piece of shit. Yeah. Um, he didn't believe anything was wrong with his methods. Ugh, gross. The medical community at the time, of course, was debating his methods, but they were having problems because they were women, mm-hmm. and it was kind of like, you know, scandalous. And and also, uh, you know, a lot of them were objecting to his experimentation, saying that he took things too far. But, of course, they did nothing. So after the Civil War, uh, and I'm kind of coming back into the night doctors here, uh during restoration there became like an industry so uh there were men who were hired and they were called resurrectionists and these men were basically grave robbers so there's an industry of men and these men were like the lowest type like murderers criminals desperate people uh who had already like transgressed a lot of moral taboos of the day and you know didn't have very strong religious beliefs obviously in it for personal gain but there became this huge uh, professional industry where this coordinated white-collar network would source cadavers from funeral homes, morgues, cemeteries, and then they would distribute them to medical schools throughout the country. Mm. So, again, this is why I believe those people up north didn't, while they were questioning his methods, didn't really push too hard because there's still a lot of dubious shit going on. One of the witnesses, and and they were getting a lot of their bodies from down south. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the witnesses uh, said that bodies had been placed, uh, and this is in Virginia, in coal oil oil barrels and transported up north. uh, And uh, how many did he say? Let's see. Over 40 corpses were taken from one cemetery in Virginia. Oh, my God. And put in these barrels and transported up north so they could be received by various medical schools. The scale and organization of the theft points um, to a fairly sophisticated trading network, one uh, of many that existed at the time. By the late 19th century, is estimated about 5,000 cadavers were dissected each year in the United States, and a majority of which were procured illegally. Uh, it says it, uh, so this practice is, you know, it's not just rumors, it's not just cautionary tales mm-hmm. um, or works of horror, because the resurrectionists, and they were also called burkers. This is going on over in London in the UK and mm-hmm. stuff, and there's like a famous tale of like these two um, 
grave robbers that were working and they got caught because if they couldn't find dead people, they would go after the sick or the people who just happened to be in the wrong time at the wrong place. And so it's these people that really gave reality to the term night doctor. Um, so, so it's easy to think that like, we're not doing that still things like that still aren't happening, but they're happening in different ways. Yeah, People are getting away with this in different, and even, and I want to talk about this later. I don't have enough time to, or I didn't research. I have plenty of time. I don't have enough <laughs> research upon it because there are several stories that kind of branch out of this that I kind of want to cover because mm-hmm. I find this really horrifically fascinating. Yeah. But there is like in Alabama, in Macon County, Alabama, from 1932 to 1972, there was a Tuskegee syphilis experiment that went on that I want to talk about later on, which is basically the same thing, using people who cannot who were ill, who um, were poor, who could not stand up for themselves. Uh, They were running an experiment, a a medical experiment that was being sanctioned by the U.S. health services up until 1972. (sighs) So it's just a lot of just fuckery going on. And this is why people believe in government conspiracies. Right? So that's my story about deadly plastic surgery clinics, night doctors, and the father of gynecology. Oh my god. Alright, so. We're gonna take a break. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Okay. The Goat House Beer Garden in Montgomery is our favorite place to go when we're in Alabama's capital, whether it's to do a show, to visit a dilapidated movie set, or to flip off the governor's mansion. <laughs> so I was talking to James, and he was telling me that the Goat House highlights local artists, singer-songwriters, makers, chefs, brewers, and entrepreneurs of all types, just like the Strange South, mm-hmm. big supporter. They intentionally support only original content because they believe that communities be Again, grow and sustain when creatives and entrepreneurs thrive. It's a great atmosphere, great company, and a lot of fun. And it's less than 10 minutes from Hank Williams' grave, which is haunted. So next time you go to say hi to old Hank, stop by the Goat House Beer Garden. And we're back. <laughs> now we're back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's funny because I guess we have sort of through line, even though mine is completely different from yours. Okay. But um, mine has to do with allegedly potentially surgical things. Mm-hmm. And you said cash cow. And mine is about <laughs> dead cow. <laughs> We're reaching here. <laughs> we used but the word cow. There's a through line. You said cow. So if you've listened to the show for any length of time if you've ever listened to the first listener lore that we did where courtney told her story about it was the second one why was that i thought that was the first one what was the first one anyway it was the second listener lore where courtney told her story about ufos in five alabama and um that happened in 1989 the ufo sightings in five so there was a press conference in fife in 1993 that um and I found all this on a website called Obtech, which I still don't know what it is or where it came from. So chances are there's billions of viruses on my computer right now. <laughs> but they have an entire section called Moodilations. No, God. <laughs> um, so there was, a, there was a press conference in Fife in April of 1993, and the chief of police and the city mayor... And Ted Oliphant, who was the investigating officer, they all spoke at this press conference because on uh, October 20th, 1992, there was an Albertville cattle farmer. And if you're not familiar with the area, which you're probably not, because if you don't have family there, you wouldn't you wouldn't know anything about this area because it's tiny and rural. Um, So is it fair to call it kind of the Sand Mountain area? So it's like it's it's in Sand Mountain area, and there is a city though that's called Sand Mountain, isn't there, or is there not? There's actually. Okay, so yeah. what were you gonna say? Oh, I was gonna say the best tomato that I've ever had in my life was like grown, <laughs> and it's from Sand Mountain. On Sand Mountain. So that's the only reason I know it. 
so Sand Mountain, like, so this is Albertville. There, parts of this story are in Crossville, I think. Parts of it's in Fife, some in Geraldine, and there was Oak. What is it? Uh, Grove Oak. Grove Oak. Um, so which this is, is where the UFOs were. Which okay, so Grove Oak was where the UFOs sightings were. See, I had to wait and do this when you were going to be here. This is the whole. <laughs> I've been putting this off until I knew you were going to be here. Um, but uh, so this area is. Like, I guess Huntsville may be the largest northern Alabama city anybody would be familiar with. You'd find it more easily on the map. So we're talking like south of Huntsville, but kind of like like southern northern Alabama or northern central Alabama. We're looking at that kind of area. So there was an Albertville cattle farmer. His name was John Strawn, and he found a, a dead cow on his property. It was like a, a wooded area of his pasture. And, you know, it was his cow. So right. that part's not a mystery. Also, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you before you get started. This is also the area that two of my scary skinwalker folklore have come from. Yeah, so south of Huntsville kind it's of the area. same yes, area. The wooded places. There is something fucking the going on. Wood is wooden place. Wood do that. Right. Um, so the cow. What's that? The Trail of Tears runs through oh. there. So it's fucking cursed is what it yes. is. Um, so this uh, this dead cow, his entire udder was missing. Shit. Um, there was no evidence of blood on it. There was no evidence of blood around it. And there was no tracks. There was no sign of a struggle. There were no footprints. Um, the, the farmer said that the area where the udder had been removed was like an incision and it had appeared to be like charred. Wow. Like fire charred on the outside. They got photos of that? I've been trying to find them and I'm hoping that by the time we release this episode, I'll have some. Okay. A lot of them are, because this was like the late eighties, early nineties, yeah. a lot of them are kind of like crappy, pixelated, weird. So like you may have like paper grandma's Polaroid. Yeah. They're doesn't not have any film good. in it. Right. But there are more recent instances of very, very similar things that have happened across the country mm-hmm. um, that they do have better photos of. So I, I may just share some of those. Um, so other farmers in Albertville were reporting similar things over the course of the next several weeks. Um, and again, this is October 1992. Um, the, there were like organs missing from these animals. In many cases, like they, <laughs> this is gross, but because we're talking about cow asses, not Brazilian asses, <laughs> cow asses. Their rectum has been cored out. Like, oh, not just, not just like you know, carrion crows removed. It's like, it appears to be like circularly cored and removed. Oh my um, God. Again, no evidence of body fluid, no evidence of blood. Um, female livestock had the sex organs removed in a same, like bloodless, neat incisions. Um, male livestock had the sex organs removed. Why did we have to, sorry, I pulled most of this from the same source and I'm like, why did we have to say that separately? Like the editor in me is like, why didn't you just say all livestock had their sex organs removed? Right. Um, oval bloodless incisions in all of these. So, you know, the farmer's like, this is not normal. So he calls the cops. Right. And so do these other guys that have it happen. So in early January of 1993, um, Albertville Police Department Chief of Detectives Tommy Cole said his own ranch has had these mutilations happen too. So these black Angus steer that he had um, fell and had all these same parts removed the same kind of no blood apparent um you know it, just very weird oval clean neat incisions to remove those parts and so like fife and started fife started working with albertville police department to investigate because it people were calling and calling and calling it kept on happening um so, you know, Albertville had another one right after Cole reported his. The next week, there were more in Grove Oak. The week after in Dawson, just what outside of Fife. Um, during the first week of February 1993. Dawson. What's that? Dawson. That's where I grew up. Dawson is where you grew up. Oh, so you're technically not in Fife. You're in like, ah. wow. That's even more country than I thought. <laughs> you're not even in real Fife. <laughs> um <laughs> So during the first week of February 1993, there were more than nine cases in one week discovered and reported in Marshall and DeKalb counties. So um, 
there was, uh, there ended up being over 35 cases in and around Fife. Well, actually, technically not in Fife, but yeah, look up the (laughs) picture. I mean, I'll share the pictures, but y'all, when I share these on the Facebook fan page, which I always do every week, I share the pictures that we can find on the Facebook fan page. (laughs) So go and join the fan page if you haven't. But squeamish don't need to be into this one Mm because there's some anti-squeamish mess in here it's kind of gross um so Mm -hmm. in the sand mountain area in a six-month period there were more than 35 cases of this happening and ted oliphant who was the investigator at the five police department investigated all of those and then was so fascinated by it he started going around the country to investigate other people's cattle mutilation cases so there are more than 10,000 reported cases of livestock mutilation since 1967 reported with the organs and tissue taken always the same or from the same kind of categories. So the sex organs are removed. Like I said, the tongue is sometimes cut deep out from the throat. Individual, usually one eye will be taken, Yeah, but it'll be like, I'm turning that off. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. You can't look Uh, at that for very long. Yeah, Go ahead. Um, and ears, usually one eye and one ear, sometimes both. Um, uh, often there's like an oval incision around the place where the eye has been taken. The jaw is usually rem- like stripped to the bone mm-hmm. in, again, an oval cut, all the tissue cut clean and the bone cleaned. The rectums are cored out like a stovepipe has been inserted. Holy this, fuck. <laughs> this one says. Um, <coughs> and... Uh, the muscle has been pulled out in the tissue. So, um, again, this is, I believe this is also from Ted Oliphant. This is, this is another thing I believe that came straight from his press conference that he held on this in 1993. Um, all of this happens with no evidence of blood present incision. Sometimes the entire blood supply of the animal has been drained without cardiovascular collapse. Um, and sometimes the blood just hasn't drained out of the animal. So, like, no one has ever been charged or prosecuted with a crime for any anything that falls under this category. Nobody has ever been caught doing it. Um, and then, again, still in this press conference, Ted Oliphant is talking about two significant cases in the area in Alabama, in Sand Mountain. Um, January 31st, 1993, a rancher in Dawson led investigators to the carcass of the black Angus. I think this is the one he, he mentioned at the beginning. Um, you know, I'm not going to describe again <laughs> the wounds that this no. animal suffered. They're horrific. But they're exactly what I've just talked about. Um, <clears throat> no bud present, none on the ground. So further examination reveals a flaky white material on the animal's rib cage and on the ground five feet away from the carcass. So according to Oliphant in this press conference, the material is placed in the empty wrapper of a cigarette pack and transported to the Fife Police Department, like you do, right. where it was transferred to a glass jar. <laughs> what do you have handy, Bob? Um, while removing the flaky particles from the cigarette wrapper, the material came in contact with the brass tip of a ballpoint pen, and within one second of contact with the brass, the material melted into a clear liquid. What the fuck? To reduce the risk of this happening to what's left, the rest is put into a jar and then air expressed to a molecular uh, biologist at, he said, a leading Eastern university. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll share. I'm basically reading a lot of his press conference verbatim, but I'll share you these links if you want to virus your computer, too. Um, (laughs) So after after um, two tests, the scientist determines that the substance is composed of aluminum. Oh, this will be fun. Aluminum, titanium, oxygen and silicone. He stated the amount of titanium is larger than you would expect to see in any substance and that there is no way that this combination of elegant elements ever occurs in nature. So the second significant case that he points to is from February 7th, 1993, which is only like two weeks later in Crossville. Cattle farmer David McClendon noticed that he's missing a calf So he goes searching for it. And this one is a little bit like its entire chest cavity has been cleaned out. Its internal organs are missing. Um, Again, no sign of blood, no teeth marks on the tissue. Um, So he calls law enforcement, local and county law enforcement, and they arrived and the deputy says, this thing got killed by predators and he takes off. Mm -hmm. But McClendon's like, um, no. And he um, brings the calf to the five police department for a second opinion 
And it, uh, Oliphant said, a first look at the calf gave the impression that the animal had been eaten by wild animals, but a closer look revealed something else. The entire edge of the animal's wounds were straight and even. There was no evidence of tearing, ripping, or chewing anywhere. Um, below the right hind leg joint, the hide had been cut in a square with two right angle incisions. Videotaped close examination, which I couldn't find, showed that the actual incision appeared to be serrated like notches. Um, which again, this one, I'm kind of like, ah, that could easily be an ad. That could be, it's different than all the other ones. It could be an animal thing. But it said um, six tissue samples were taken from the animal and preserved in mason jars, like you do. Like you do. Um, sent to a guy from the University of Colorado, um, Dr. Altshuler. John Altshuler states that all samples had been exposed to high heat. The tissue had been cooked. He said the temperature required to do it would have been in the hundreds of degrees and possibly higher. Um, so that was all this evidence from this press conference that um, that they held. So, okay, what do you think people thought this was? I, you know, I am looking at a list here <laughs> of what, and it is staggering. But go ahead, I'll let you reveal. What do you think, Courtney? Do you have a... Oh, well, they think it was aliens. Aliens, yeah. <laughs> aliens is like the go-to, but aliens there is a is list. Are you fizzing to refer to the list? Uh, is it the one that's on the whiteboard? Yes. Oh, my God. Whiteboard Read list. it, because I don't have it pulled up right now. Oh, my gosh. Okay, And so, that one's from... I think that one's from, like, a Colorado or an Oregon police yes. department that's having exactly these same yes. things. So, that, yes. yeah, they wrote on this whiteboard the top things that people think that this could be. Number one is, like, a North Vietnamese army. Yes. All right. So number two is aliens, then witches. Oh yeah. Bigfoot. Mm. Devil worshippers can't fucking leave out. That's the a big devil one. Worshippers. That was a, the satanic cult was a big popular opinion down here. Right. Lightning, poison okay. dart, mm. human. It just says human. There's a pasted up note card that I can't read what the fuck it says. <laughs> I'll have to like zoom in later. Force field. <laughs> vegans. Yes, vegans. <laughs> um sharks or cats <laughs> with laser beams. <laughs> yep. I yeah. I think I'm, I need a t-shirt of that. I am yes, I'm all about I'm trying to I'm trying to see if I can see this. Can you see the small uh Cows killed same way, all in something happened for two summers during that era. A lot of satanic cults. Mm. So that, that was, was just a, a straight up satanic panic years. Yes, that was right in the middle of satanic panic. So satanic cult was a big one that showed up in, um, in honestly not a ton of newspaper representation of this stuff. Um, I really I was able to find a couple in the Aniston Star and a couple from the Montgomery Advertiser. Not really a whole lot else. So Satanic Cult was a big the UFO theory because we're talking about Fife has just been through these UFO things, which kind of exploded the local population with tourists for a little while, and that was only and got like three coverage. years ago. Yeah, or international coverage. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is only three years removed from that, and a lot of people experienced it, and it's a small community, so everyone knew someone who had experienced it if they hadn't themselves. Right. Um, so um, the UFO theory was a big one. There were other places where this had happened where people said they would examine the carcasses and the ribs would be cracked, and they would say, well, that could only happen under blunt force trauma or if the carcass was dropped from a height. So the theory on that one was that they were pulled up into some sort of flying vehicle and done surgery on and then dropped back into their initial location, um, which would explain some of the like the, uh, one of the big questions is why is there no sign of struggle? If this is predators, why are there no footprints, paw prints? Because it's not always in dry ground. Sometimes it's in mud and they never have tracks. So they're like, well, it has to be coming from above somehow because there's no way that they you know they would never have any tracks so that's one of the things the ribs broken they kind of think that maybe something is taking them away and then dropping them from a height and they say that aliens would want cows for blood for hybrid fertilization <coughs> i didn't look deeply into this theory because i don't understand how, why cows like how and how they would think that or? if aliens come to our planet why cows you know you would 
what's the are, oh maybe they're trying to create like a um a race of um <coughs> like subservient like enslaved creatures mm. that they can use to populate you know to like build cities <laughs> so they're with really like like sweaty noses and like <laughs> stinky poop so that was a really big one that one probably came above predators for a lot of people but the predators angle is kind of dubious so I found a lot of articles because, you know, this doesn't, this isn't even localized to the U.S. This stuff happens all over the country. So there was a, or all over the the globe. Mm -hmm. So there was an Australian article that I found talking about these same, you know, surgical cuts being done on cattle and livestock. And they said that um, vultures, Tasmanian devils, and coyotes often eat soft tissue body parts first. So that would explain really why the parts that were missing were missing. You know, if predators would really go after that before anything else. Right. But they don't leave surgical. I mean, they don't like take their forks and knives off. Out yeah. And, and I like, would think like they. Lasers. It is. I mean, it's cauterized. And we will, yeah, and, it's cauterized. And we will we will share some pictures because it is kind of hard to like agree or disagree without seeing any photos. Right. But it doesn't look normal and you know take this too a lot of these people who are reporting these to the police it's not like they're just like oh my cow died i'm gonna call the police right they looks weird that their cows have died plenty of times they see what like what normal dead cows look like yes like okay so courtney is saying these are not people who want to be in the spotlight and want to be like hey have the attention right yes this is their and the reason they're reporting it to the police is because their livelihood and they are certain that this is not something that has happened naturally because they've seen we make this argument all the time when they're talking about like oh no that noise you heard was just an owl Mm -hmm. except when you're talking about people that live in the forest all the time you 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 don't hear the owl. You hear things that aren't the owl because right. the owl is there all the time. You know, right. you know what that sound is. Although that picture of baby owl shit that oh was god. just posted on our fan page oh my god brooke you f- yeah. fucked with me so bad that i can i can believe i can believe some of the owl theory yeah some the, of it i i really can too that's really the best evidence of people saying that owls are mistaken for mm-hmm. aliens that i've ever seen but also i have like a a really long standing fear <sighs> God, I swear I'm telling everybody all my fears on this show. Like, <laughs> you're like, do they ever end? Is there anything I'm not afraid of? Barn owls, though. <laughs> I have a fear of barn owls. Wow. And it's not even just because yeah, I love other kinds of, I love raptors. I love mm-hmm. birds of prey. But barn owls specifically, they're huge. They have those creepy ass eyes and, and weird flat faces. And they will sit there and they'll sit up and they'll stare at you and they'll shake from side to side. Mm-hmm. Just really like, they just like, they look at you and they move from side side to side and they're not even thinking about it they're just doing it It Mm -hmm. freaks the fuck out of me (laughs) so they have them at this like birds of prey trail near here at the national natural history museum my kids always wanted to go down it when we were kids and i couldn't even go towards their cage i had to like kind of walk by and look the other way because i hate those little fuckers but when they're babies they look like tiny creepy humanoids and you just they do go look up this this they they, they look like fucking aliens seriously so yes we we can now say yeah sometimes things can trick you like Right. right right um but so you know but i think this idea that they would just take soft tissue it may be, I don't and know. cauterize the shit. Yeah, I mean, that's what's really weird. And they also said, like, scientists have said, when an animal dies, blood naturally clots and coagulates, creating the appearance that the blood has disappeared. Teeth marks might be obscured by swelling. Um, but, I mean, all these things together in enough by ranchers who recognize normalcy. You know, they know what's normal. They've mm-hmm. seen them die. And there was one vet that was interviewed by this. There was a, a show called The Unexplained Files. Season one had an episode about this kind of stuff. And there was a vet that they interviewed that says it was not impossible that carrion animals could clean certain parts of a carcass the way that they did. He's like, you'd be surprised right. how precise yeah. they can be. Right. But there was an Auburn professor of zoology, Dr. Jim Armstrong, who was, um, who was interviewed before they did this press back back to the press conference again who said it would be obvious if a coyote had been doing this because the wounds would not be similar to a smooth cut. Like you're saying, coyotes bite and pull and tear 
and it would look chewed on. And there are other scavengers that will eat at the softer regions, but that's not going to be those surgical type cuts. So he said there is no way that there was a predator who did this. And um, he looked at dozens of photographs. He didn't see them. Oh, he didn't see the actual body. Did anybody see the actual body? I mean, the police force went out and looked at them. Um, And I imagine reporters probably did. But the the articles I found had no photos attached to them. It's probably too too much for 1993 sensibilities. Right. But, um, yeah, there was a USDA expert. And several wildlife biologists all went over the photos together. And he said, with the exception of one person, we all agreed that this was not typical predatory damage. Um, so um, the like the local, the Auburn Extension agent also, he said the same thing. Like predators, like a lot of these with this oval cut around the jaw and stuff, he was like, predators are not going to eat the hide. He's like, you've cut the hide off of these large places where these surgical incisions are, he's like, they don't do that. They they go for everything inside. The hide is the last thing to go. Right, they so go there for was the all soft this parts. left. Yeah. Soft parts. Um, so all this is said at a press conference. And it was interesting because the first article I found in Montgomery Advertiser made very clear that Oliphant was one of the only investigators that was not willing to just naturally put these cases down to natural death. Mm. Ted Oliphant was the only one that was fighting this fight. Um, and... Uh, he was in this press conference even stating state and local government cover-ups. Like, yeah. not in the press conference, but in the articles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When they interviewed him, he was like, why are they, why are they not telling people about this then? Yeah. Um, so here's the thing, though. It turns out that Ted Oliphant, who was 34 at the time this was going on, had moved to Fife and joined the police force just two years earlier, specifically because of the UFO incidents oh, in 1989. Wow. He said the best way to find out what's going on anywhere is to move there, according to the Montgomery Advertiser. And he said he had an encounter himself in Michigan in the late 80s. He was a formerly in, in the Air Force and was a part-time reporter and TV producer in Michigan. And so when people, people were saying, like, dude, you're letting this UFO thing get into your police work. And he responds, <laughs> I love this one. I've also done a documentary on shipwrecks in the Great Lakes, but I don't think pirates are responsible for mutilations. (laughs) (laughs) But here's one more thing. Through all the cases in Alabama in that time, all 35 of them in Sand Mountain, cattle farmers and their neighbors reported seeing or hearing helicopters in the vicinity either before or shortly after the cattle were discovered. No way. John Strawn, who was the first one that from October of 1992... Um, gathered other farmers together to prove that they had all seen the same helicopters. So one was light blue and white with an orange sun. One was dark blue and one was black. They all had the same helicopters that they saw. Holy shit. All of them unmarked, all of them without their lights on. The conspiracies are real. Yeah. So Olivant said in his press conference, he's had just one line at the end that was like, also there were helicopters. And because of his press conference, the army had to hold its own press conference to tell locals not to shoot at helicopters. <laughs> Holy shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what... <laughs> well, because in, there were... Um, there were actually other law enforcement helicopters that were going out to look for these that people were reporting seeing. And they got the sheriff's helicopter got shot at. Oh, and then shit. they seen somebody sitting on the road who flashed their lights at the chopper, that, which is, I guess, a sign for it to, you know, to, right. to signal it. And when they got closer, they found out it was sitting under the power lines. Like he was trying to lure them into the power lines oh, on purpose. Oh, my God. So, um, Anyway, Oliphant has done guest editorials from other websites. That one that I originally said, the mutilations. Mm-hmm. He had an editorial that he submitted to them, and it's called Dead Cows I've Known. And that was where he really got into his government conspiracy theory. Because he, you know, as much as he was an alien buff, he didn't go for the alien angle on this. He went for the government conspiracy angle. And he said... Um, He said, in 1993, I got a call from a man who told me that if I went to a certain place on a certain evening, I would see helicopters land and refuel. And he went to Chinook helicopters. Like the twin rotor Chinooks landed in the field carrying plastic fuel bladders. And several minutes later, scout helicopters landed nearby and the Chinooks refueled each of them and they all left. It was like half a dozen choppers. What? He said it took less than 30 minutes and they tracked them to Fort Campbell, Kentucky after they left. So he said, we knew where they were going, but we didn't know why they refueled on sand mountain. 
they called public affairs at, uh, you know, at the base and they said, no, we had no aircraft in your area. And he was just like, well, yes, they were. Cause that was theirs. And you know, who mm-hmm. knows? There could be a billion other, you know, right. reasons for things like this, but he knew something weird was going on because there was no reason for them to be in sand mountain. Right. And, um, so he said at one point when, when the farmers were seeing these unmarked choppers, Albert's Albertville's Tommy Cole, chief of police called in the FAA and, um, Cole, it was right after he had lost his Angus steer because he was the one who had lost his own cow. Right. So, um, he had seen a, a chopper the day before they discovered the cow and an FAA investigator came down to Albertville and Cole rode him around. And the FAA guy was like, you know, very, very skeptical, like thinking it was a waste of his time. And then they saw an unmarked chopper fly past their car that they were driving in. And, um, the investigator pulled out a handheld and hailed the chopper and the chopper didn't respond and ignored demands that he identify himself. And this made the guy really, really pissed off. And they traced it to Maxwell Air Force Base. In, in yes, in Montgomery. And so, you know, because all this time I was reading this and thinking like, yeah, this was around the time where there were people running pot operations all right. over this area. I right. was like, you know, that's why they're not answering your call. But right. they tracked the chopper to an air base. So... He launched an inquiry at the base, and he was told, this is the FAA investigator, don't ever talk about it again. Holy fuck. This is all according to what Ted Oliphant. What does the U.S. government want with cow buttholes? So let me, let me tell you what his... Let me tell you what, what Ted's theory is. Okay. Um, there, you remember mad cow disease? Right. In Britain, so um, bovine spongiform encelopathy. Mad cow disease is transmissible to humans. Um, and it's, it's mostly if I under, now this is where my research is going to break down. So other people can fill this in if you want to, but, um, it's mostly, I think because the bodies of infected cows are ground up and used in livestock feed Feed, right? and in all kinds of other things. Like they eat their sisters. It's pretty shitty. I mean, it's really gross. He actually, there's a, um, there's a rendering plant in Geraldine, Alabama, right around here at the time when he was writing these things. And he described cows going through the rendering plant. And it is really fucking nasty. Like, this is where your dog food comes from. This is what your beefsteaks are eating. It is really gross. Um, But, um, yeah, he said that um, he believed that the government was coming in and doing covert testing for diseases like mad cow disease and that the areas that they're taking samples from would kind of act as libraries for viruses because they're intake and outtake valves, take Mm -hmm. the tongue, take the rectum, take, you know, and, um, and so he was like, he, he was saying he really thought that they were trying to head off potential, um, like outbreaks of, mad cow disease or similar things. Why wouldn't they contact the farmers and have them involved? Why so covert? That's the weird thing. He said he, he said he thought that if people knew that they were trying to test for this, that there would be like public freakouts because this is like, it's, it's like, it's almost like a, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a they brain don't want, fever. They don't, it's encephalitis. Right. And, and I mean, it would, it's, it's bad. Right. I mean, hell, I've told you before, like, I can't, I can't give blood to the Red Cross because I lived in Germany while there was mad cow. I don't have it. It's been like 30, 40 years and I still can't get, that's how scared they are of mad cow disease. Damn. And so I think they were, he was kind of arguing that it had to be covert because of that. And also because like when he talked about the rendering plant, he said that, um, like, the UK, they have policies about how you treat the bodies of dead livestock, mm-hmm. partly because of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. We don't have those. Or at least when he wrote this mm-hmm. editorial, we didn't have them. Mm-hmm. And I would be surprised if, if we, we did. Do. Fucking no. Trump era. You think we haven't rolled back every goddamn thing we had? Right. So he said that some of the livestock that had gone down with these kind of injuries were sent to the local rendering plant and crushed oh. into feed for other livestock. See, I fucking believe that. Yeah. Yeah, that so, makes sense. You know, and so even though they had no idea, but, the, you know, they 
they did test them and make sure that they didn't have, but a lot of them had weird pharmaceutical, human pharmaceuticals in them. So there were barbiturates in the systems of some of these cows. And it was like, just weird shit, right? So anyway, but that's his, his theory is that it's a government conspiracy to quietly control like cow viruses. Hmm. Which is really bad for farmers because, like, in this small area, they had 34 steer tech. Those are not cheap. Like, right? you know? So, anyway, yeah, so that's the story of the cow wow. meeting. Do you have anything to add? Well, I was just thinking about. Do you want to sit here and add? Know, I, I was just thinking about not just control the viruses, but, you know, um, what, like, the hormones and the things that are in the, in the cattle now, too. I was wondering if they were testing that to see. Like, mm. So just, like there's some covert additives to whatever they're doing. In oh, so Courtney's too. saying maybe covertly, yeah, testing hormone. Because they do take thyroid glands are sometimes removed from these too. Like glands are removed. Mm-hmm. So they could be covertly testing for other things. Right. Um, and like maybe big conspiracies. Right. Yeah. And I know like having the base that's here that was closed down like i mean i've heard rumors of like radiation and toxic things being buried oh fort mcclellan and grounds and stuff yeah and so just wondering like maybe if that feeds into like the area Mm -hmm. that they're feeding from maybe something i'm Mm. starting rumors now (laughs) um Yeah, if they've, like, you know, because there was a fucking nuke that was blown up in Mississippi that nobody knew about, really, you know? Um, Wow. So there's no telling, and, you know, that's kind of a woo-woo area, so, Mm. you know, just saying. So, yeah. Gives you something to think about. Watch your cows. Watch your cows and your buttholes. (laughs) 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 Thanks, y'all, for listening. Bye. 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 Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check out our website, thestrangesouth.com. All our social media links are there. And for extra fun and goodies, join our Facebook fan group, Fans of the Strange South Podcast. And if you love us so much that you want to support what we do and get bonus episodes and behind-the-scenes photos and videos, please consider joining our Patreon, Patreon, Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thestrangesouth.